America needs to, needs to turn back to righteousness as a gift to be received. We need to bring back the gospel of Jesus Christ because America's greatest days were when its founding fathers believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and they had no qualms about saying the name of Jesus. When they believe right, they live right. See, many a times we frustrate the grace of God when we want to do so much when God just wants us to receive and receive much. For it's those who receive much that serve much, that love much, that give much, that do much. It all begins with receiving. But we want to make God, we want to relegate God to be a receiver and we the giver, forgetting that God always wants to have the blessed and the higher position for without contradiction, the less is blessed by the better. And God always wants to be the blesser and He wants us to be the blesser. Can you just take your place? Can you just allow yourself to be loved? Lord, I'm gonna bless you. Lord, I'm gonna give you. Lord, I'm gonna... God says, let me love you. Like Mary, when she received from the Lord, she was the only woman that anointed the body of Jesus for his burial. The women that came on resurrection morning never had the chance. She did the right thing at the right time, for she chose the right portion to sit and receive that incessant grace. Amen. You know, one of the things that we have been accused of is people saying things like, you know, they don't preach repentance. But actually, when you stop your wrong thinking, your wrong believing, and start saying, God wants to bless me. God, I mean, God has a, a, a tidal wave of grace for me. Do you know you are repenting? Do you know you are changing your mind? Do you know that, in, in, at least in my church, repentance is going on all the time? Now, you might not have people coming up and saying, Jesus, Jesus, you know what I'm saying? I'm not belittling that. I'm just saying you can go through all that and still not have your mind change. For you have not heard anything to cause your mind to change. But when you hear someone preach the Word and he's giving you material from Scripture and you are changing your minds all the time, repentance is going on all the time because the word repentance is change of mind. You know, one day I was reading Luke 15 where it talks about, then drew near all the publicans, the tax collectors, and the sinners to hear Jesus. In that parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son, Luke 15. I was very intrigued because at the time, I asked the Lord to help me to define repentance in a new covenant way, and He brought me to the lost sheep in Luke 15. In Luke 15, there was a shepherd. Do we have that scripture here? There was a shepherd who lost a sheep. Okay, that's one scripture we don't have, so I'm gonna tell you the story. You all know, you are familiar with the parable. He lost one sheep out of 100. And the Bible says this good shepherd leaves the 99, goes out, starts seeking for that lost sheep. When he finds it, he takes it 
and puts it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Look at the style. Rejoicing. All right? And then, not only that, he brought the sheep back and called all his friends and says, rejoice with me. Let's party for the sheep that was lost has been found. And then Jesus said something profound. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner that repents than 99 persons who need no repentance. So obviously that illustration was to point out that this parable is about repentance. But when I studied the parable, I was looking at how the sheep repented And I could not see it, but Jesus ended that parable by saying, there is joy over one sinner that repents. He used the word, that sinner repents, that lost sheep repents. But when I was trying to study how the lost sheep repents, all I saw was the good shepherd. The good shepherd left the 99. The good shepherd went out. The good shepherd sought. The good shepherd found. The good shepherd took it and put it on his shoulders of strength. And the good shepherd was rejoicing. And the good shepherd said, come on people, rejoice with me. So I said to the Lord, Lord, help me here. How did a sheep repent? Did he say, Lord, I'm coming home. Here I am bleeding at every pore, but I'm coming home. <laughs> I'm a poor wayfaring stranger <laughs> traveling through this world of woe. Shut up! <laughs> it's not about you. <laughs> it's about him. <laughs> you know what? I asked the Lord, so how did the sheep repent? The Lord says, this is repentance. When you consent to be saved when you consent to be loved, when you consent to be carried by my arms of strength and be embraced by my strong hands of love. When you consent, you allow me to, that's repentance. And there is more joy over that kind of repentance than the other legalistic kind because don't forget, Judas Iscariot, in the old King James, it says he repented when he saw that they want to do harm to Jesus, they, he realized that Jesus isn't defending himself. He said, the Bible says he repented. He threw the money down. He says, I've betrayed innocent blood. But how many know he's lost? Because he did an act of self-righteousness. He hung himself. If only he had waited just a few hours, the good shepherd would have hung in his place. Peter denied knowing Jesus with cursing and swearing, but Peter waited, allowed himself to be saved, allowed himself to be loved. Whereas there are people with self-righteousness and they refuse to accept forgiveness, even from God, they rather pay for their own sins. Do you understand that? Self-righteousness is the mother of all sins. I'm telling you, because sin came in through that tree called the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Pray tell me what's wrong with that tree. It's called the tree of knowledge of good. 
and evil. What's wrong with knowledge of good and evil? It is deadly. And God says, the day you eat of it, it's a picture of the law. The day you eat of it, you shall die. So man wanting to be like God with his own action, his own performance. So that is self-righteousness and self-righteous is the mother of all sin. You know, when Jesus taught on faith, Jesus cursed the fig tree that bore no fruit, only fig leaves. Jesus cursed that fig tree before he taught on faith, the faith of God. In essence, he's saying, you have to curse the fig leaves of self-righteousness before faith can operate in your life. Because the first mention of fig leaves is when Adam and Eve covered themselves with salad dressing. Fig leaves. Remember that? They covered themselves with fig leaves. Now, Jesus cursed the fig tree bearing fig leaves. What is he cursing? Self-righteousness. Bloodless sacrifice. If you want faith to operate in your life, curse self-righteousness in your life. Renounce it in Jesus' name. Amen? Church, Romans 5.19 tells us, For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. By one man's obedience. I said by one man's obedience, not your obedience, y'all. His obedience. How are you righteous today? His obedience. Is it my obedience? No, His obedience. Well, Pastor Prince, uh, we have to be obedient people. The thing is this, friends, if you believe right, that His obedience made you righteous. Right believing will always lead to right living. You don't have to worry about right living. Just preaching on right living does not necessarily produce right living. When you preach right living, right living doesn't mean you produce right living. In fact, you produce fear and guilt when you don't measure up. But when you preach Jesus and there's right believing in what He has done, amen, there'll be right living. Hallelujah. Now, the essence of the battle, the warfare that we have today is that the devil is trying to bring our focus away from Jesus and his obedience that made us righteous. It is his obedience at the cross that made all of us righteous. If I were to ask you a question, how, when you were a sinner, remember? It's a long time, I know, but you remember when you were a sinner? Whose sin made you a sinner? Now, we did sin, didn't we? All right? We were not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. I know that's deep, but... We, we are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. We are sinners because of Adam's sin. Amen? By the same token, we are righteous by that one man's obedience. Now, when you were a sinner, try to recall, okay? Were there some good deeds that you did? Like something that you helped the poor or you helped someone in need, someone in trouble when you were a sinner? Come on. I mean, you were not all that bad, right? All right, but you were a sinner. There are 
sinners and there are wicked sinners. You understand? But all are sinners. You see, we judge people based on their levels and degrees of sin. God says sin is sin. For example, there are no degrees of deadness. Like for example, Jairus' daughter, she just died when Jesus arrived at the house. She just died. The widow of Nain that I mentioned just now, her only son had died the same day for a number of hours, perhaps. Lazarus, on the other hand, has been dead for four days. And we judge people based on how bad your sin is and degrees of sin. And then there's no such thing as degrees of deadness. So why do we judge people like that? You know what? All three of them are dead. <laughs> dead as a doornail. Is that how you say it here? Doornail? They are dead. Whether you just died or you died for four days, you're dead. And we all need the resurrection and the life. His name is Jesus. Amen? So, what the devil wants to do is to take your focus off that one man. Now, when you were a sinner, there were some good things that you did. The good things that you do when you were a sinner change your status as a sinner. Wow, you were still a sinner. What the first Adam did was so powerful, you cannot undo it by your good deeds. Right? That's true. What the first Adam did was so powerful, you cannot undo your status as a sinner by doing good. When you do good, you are still a sinner. Now, because of that one man's obedience that had made it righteous. The last Adam. <laughs> the last Adam has come. I said the last Adam has come. Now, his obedience has made you righteous. Now you are born again. Bible toting. Scripture quoting. Tongue talking. Jesus exalting. Now that you are saved, now that you are righteous by Jesus' obedience, ever since you were made righteous, ever since you were born again, in other words, have you done wrong? Now, next question. Does it change your status? Now, now listen, don't worry about, well, he's giving people license to sin. Number one, people are sinning without license. <laughs> number two, number two, they don't need license. Number two, it's a strength of sin that is, the strength of sin is the law, not grace. When you are under grace, sin shall not have dominion over you. Now listen, right believing, believing his obedience made you righteous. Alright? We don't realize the ramifications of what we are believing. We say like, for example, in one day you can be righteous, you confess your sin, now you are, you are, you are righteous, then you sin, you are unrighteous, you confess your sin, now you are re-righteous, and then before the evening is gone, alright, alright, this uh, uh, old friend call you up and start using some words and all that, and you start, you know, hitting him back, whatever. Now you are unrighteous, and you say, I shouldn't have said that, I'm a believer, oh man, I'm a pastor, oh man, you know. <laughs> Then you confess, and now you are righteous again. This, this nonsense of bouncing in and out of this position of righteousness, we don't realize we are insulting the work of Christ and devaluing the blood of Christ. 
Hey, listen, we are not even ready for the much more of what Jesus did. The church is not even ready to hear about the much more. Even putting Jesus and Adam on the same level, we give more credit to Adam. We tell the sinner, no matter what good you do, man, you cannot be safe. It's only through the blood. Then we tell the Christian, now that you sin, you are unrighteous. You need to get righteous. We don't realize that we are actually putting the work of Adam above the work of Christ. Now church, if you believe right, don't worry about living right. You will live right. The essence of the warfare, people, is that the devil wants to bring your focus back on your obedience, the lack of it. Have you obeyed enough? The first thing that happens when you are sick is, where have I missed it? Where have I disobeyed God? Instead of believing God actively, all right, you start being introspective, you start to be self-occupied, and there's nothing more painful than to be self-occupied. To the extent you are self-occupied, you are in pain. All of us are self-occupied. You have a group photo, who do you look for first? The president might be in the group photo, but you're looking for yourself, how good you look beside the president. Now the thing is this, the devil wants you self-occupied. To the degree you're self-occupied, you are in fear, you are depressed, you are feeling guilty, you see where you don't measure up, you look at your thoughts, they don't measure up, you look at yourself, doesn't measure up. But God wants you to focus, look outward from self and look at Jesus, look off to Jesus and see, His obedience make me righteous. Not my right thoughts, my right emotions, my right behavior, but His righteousness make me righteous. When you believe right, it will be right, all right? But don't focus on yourself. Never, never, never judge your standing. That is righteousness for the believer. Never judge your standing by your behavior. Always judge your behavior by your standing. Your standing will never change. Now you're free to judge your behavior. Do we, do we say that we have not sinned, we don't sin? No. In fact, after you, re you realize you've been forgiven of all your sins, let me illustrate. Let's say a businessman, all right? He has a accounts receivable ledger okay, his business ledger. But suppose that this businessman, through some bad decisions or whatever, he, he's now heavily in debt. When he comes to the office, he does not want to look at his ledger. Why? Because he knows he's heavily in debt, all right? He catches a distant look at the ledger and he sees a lot of red. That means he's in debt. He has no heart to open the ledger. He tells his secretary, you go through it, tell me what we owe and I'll just, I'll try my best to pay whatever we can at this present moment, but I don't want to look at the ledger. Now supposing this businessman has a friend who heard about his predicament, and this friend is a wealthy friend, and he doesn't want this debt on his conscience. So this friend pays his debt, and only pays his debt, gave him extra, all right, to just make sure that he feels really good for his future, and then takes off somewhere without even telling his friend, and somebody has to come and tell him that your debt is paid. Now, how good the messenger tells him will determine how he feels 
whether he'll behave right towards his debt. Many of us, the messengers, has been having a mixed message so we, are, we don't convey with clarity. Actually, Jesus is an overpayment for all our sins. If you think about our sin debt to God, listen, our sin debt to God. Let's say you have a 10 million, all right, 10 million dollar sin debt towards God. Jesus is 10 billion dollars. If you understand the quality of the man, the value of that one man to God, he's an overpayment for all our sins. That's why there's plenty left over. That's why there's much more. Now, now that the businessman knows he's paid, his, I mean, his debt is paid, he comes into the office, he says, bring me the ledger. And now he, he doesn't mind looking at his ledger, at how much he owes, all right, he used to owe. He look at, man, I didn't realize I owe that much. Look at all this red. I didn't realize I owe this much. Oh, hallelujah, it's all paid. Now he doesn't mind looking at his debt. So likewise, the believer that knows he's forgiven does not mind looking at his sins and being honest with his wife. Hi, darling, I'm sorry, darling. Today I was a bit, uh, you know, I'm a bit hypersensitive today. I don't know why. And I'm sorry, I I snapped at you. You know, we don't mind, we're no more defensive when we know our sins are forgiven. In fact, we don't mind confessing our sins, but we don't confess our sins to be forgiven. When we know we are forgiven, we don't mind confessing our sins to each other. Man, I'm telling you, today I don't know what, I, I, I just, I lost my cool on the road, man. But once you know you're forgiven, you can be free. But it's when you do, you're not confident that the payment has been made, you start to hide, you start to defend. When somebody points out your weakness, you snap back. Look at you, you're the same. You have this, you have that. Wow, snap, snap, bite, bite, bite. All these grace people, bite. <laughs> you know, people, they mean well. Many of these people who come against me, God bless their darling hearts and ignorant heads. Uh, they, mean, they, they mean well. Their heart is in the right place. Just wrong up here somewhere, all right? I love them. And if we understand grace, when people condemn us, we will not condemn them. Always remember that, okay? When you are under grace, you be gracious. Amen? Especially if you are in a church and your pastor seems not to fully understand grace, be patient and pray for him. Don't go into this mode of, well, he's not preaching grace, so I'm leaving. Don't do that, all right? I'll get the blame. And I'm a pastor, okay, I'm telling you, many pastors, their heart is in the right place. When people say things like, uh, what America needs to do now is, America needs to turn back to righteousness. What do you mean? What do you mean? And I think that sometimes people who say this, I believe they mean well, all right? But the, what they're saying is that, stop the wrong, stop doing the wrong, and start doing the right, and America will be all right. If that can be done, they already had the law in the Old Testament, they don't need Jesus. If we can stop the wrong and do the right, we don't need Jesus. Are you listening? But if we say America needs to, needs to turn back to righteousness as a gift to be received, we need to bring back the gospel of Jesus Christ because America's greatest days were when its founding fathers 
believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and they had no qualms about saying the name of Jesus. When they believe right, they live right. They govern right. They lead right. They lead right and govern right because they believe right. But here we are saying we need to go back to stopping the wrong and doing the right. We fight to bring the Ten Commandments back into public schools when we should fight to bring John 3.16. Where is the Gospel? We've lost faith in the Gospel. The Gospel is what produced the founding fathers, the kind of quality leadership, par excellence, men of integrity. The fruit of the Spirit comes about only in chapter 5 of Galatians after Paul talks about law and grace for the first four chapters. Those who are under grace, the fruit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, and even self-control is a fruit. But those who are under law, the works of the flesh, notice it's not fruit of the flesh. Works of the flesh is adultery, bitterness, resentment. Works of the flesh, wow. What's the difference between fruit and works? Fruit is a result of life. Works is a result of effort. The more you try, the worse it's gonna be. The more you open yourself to grace, the life will produce the fruit. And isn't that godly character? If someone walks in the fruit of the Spirit, manifested, would you, would you say that man, that woman has godly character? Pastors, leaders, isn't that what we want in our people? It doesn't come about by preaching godly character. It comes about by preaching grace. And the fruit of right believing is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and self-control. When Israel said, all that you command us, God, we can do it. Next thing you see, the golden calf. The very first commandment, you shall have no other gods. But wait, wait, wait. Before you look at the golden calf, the works of the flesh, what preceded it? Self-righteousness. All that you say in Hebrew, kol asher diber Adonai, na'aseh. Na'aseh in Hebrew means we can do it. Bring it on, Lord. <laughs> Whatever. They have not even heard the Ten Commandments yet. Now, look at this. When Israel came out of Egypt, no temptation to build a golden calf. I mean, they were people with flaws and weaknesses, idiosyncrasies, and bad dispositions. But no temptation to build a golden calf. They went through the Red Sea on the other side, no temptation to build a golden calf. They had gold already. On the night of the Passover, the gold was transferred. So keep on partaking of the Lord's Supper. On the same night, the <clears throat> we need some of the transfer, y'all. Amen. They had the gold, they were, kept, they, were, they were heavy laden with gold. They walked through the wilderness, to the Red Sea, with gold. The donkeys were like, yeah, come on. They were laden with gold, but no temptation to build a golden calf. At the bitter waters of Mara, no temptation to build a golden calf. At the smitten rock, no temptation to build a golden calf. Finally, they reached Mount Sinai, and then they said, all that you command us. <laughs> Bring it on, Lord. Bring your commandments. We can do it. In the Hebrew, it is a statement of, an emphatic statement of self-confidence. Na'aseh. We can do it. 
Next thing you know, the golden calf. What do you reckon will happen when we preach to the flesh of our people and telling them, you can do it, you can do it. Now, it's one thing to say, I can do all things through Christ, with the emphasis through Christ. It's another thing to fall back on your flesh and say, I can do it, only to fall flat on your face. So America needs to turn back to righteousness, but righteousness as a gift, which is the revelation of the gospel. We have forgotten the old hymn that says, You and I must make a path. We must bring salvation back. Just call His. He'll be there. You all know the hymn, praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. Restore the gospel to the pews and the pulpit and the church. Let's start preaching the gospel of grace. No other gospel. In fact, anyone preach any other gospel, Paul says, Paul pronounced a curse on that one. So the warfare is this, 2 Corinthians 10. All right, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. It's not palpable. But mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And watch this, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. The warfare is to bring every thought to focus on the obedience of Christ. All right? This is what it says in the Greek, in your old King James, in your new King James. Some new translation says, bring every thought to obey Christ. No one can do that. It is to the obedience of Christ. Bring every thought to the obedience of Christ. Focus on that one man's obedience. The devil will say, look at yourself. You've not obeyed enough. Look, are you obedient? That's why you're not getting this blessing. How can you believe God for healing? How can you believe God for provision when you are not right with God? Remember last night what happened? You disobeyed God. He's gonna focus you back on you, on your obedience or the lack of it. Even when you obey, he says you have not obeyed enough. When you disobey, he sounds the trumpet and a, a clarion call from the rooftop saying you have disobeyed. He's the accuser. His job is to accuse. Are you listening, people? And many a times, we don't, know, we don't know what to do with our thoughts. You know, the devil doesn't come to you pointing out to you, you are an addict. You have an eating disorder. You are depressed. He comes in the personal pronoun. He puts in your thought, I am an addict. I have an eating disorder. I am depressed. Nobody loves me. He'll put that thought as if you are thinking it. Are you listening? All right? And the moment you accept that thought, that's when he got you. Are you listening, people? The devil is, he's so subtle. He'll put a bad thought in your mind towards Joseph Prince. And then he'll knock you on the head and say, how can you have such a thought against this wonderful man of God? Why did you laugh? Sometimes the devil speaks partial truth. So he'll say, look at that lady. Why do you think she's in church? You know why, she's out here looking for a husband. 
And then after he puts that thought in your mind, he backs away, he knocks you on the head, say, you are in church, call yourself a Christian? Look at the thoughts in your head. And then you are like, la, 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 la. you know, you are saying, what hit me? He plays mind games with you. Are you listening? Now listen, I'm gonna share with you something that I think is gonna bless you, gonna help you, all right? The Bible says, as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Our high priest, today Jesus, think about it, he walked on this earth three, uh, for 33 years, but he's been in heaven for 2,000 years as our high priest. We need to know what he's doing at the Father's, in his session at the Father's right hand. Number one, why is he there? On what grounds is Jesus there? Well, Pastor Prince, he's the son of God. Yes, but that's not the reason why God raised Jesus from the dead and set him at his own right hand. Look at Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 tells us Jesus being the brightness of his glory and the express image of the Father's person, upholding all things by the word of his power. Watch this. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, he sat down having successfully purged our sins. Or else he'll never sit down. He has done it and the efficacy lasts forever. Now listen, that's the reason he sat down. He's always the son of God, but he did not sit down as the son of God. He sat down having purged our sins. Having finished the work, he sat down. That's our divine receipt that all our sins are put away. Even sins that we do not even know of that we'll, we might commit next year. And some people are afraid when you talk about your sins are forgiven past, present, future. But Jesus says, those who know they are forgiven much will love him much. Right believing. Right believing. Now, the high priest is not there in front of God, beside God, for God's benefit. He's there for our benefit. Hebrews 5 verse 1 says, every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men, appointed for men in things pertaining to God. Say for men. Say to God. All right? So he's appointed for the benefit of men to God. Let's say God is in front of me here in the Holy of Holies and all of you are behind me. I'm representing all men's profit, benefit. All right? I represent you to God. A prophet, on the other hand, is there for God to men. The Bible doesn't say Jesus in the book of Hebrews is our prophet at the right hand. He is, he is a prophet, but he's not a prophet at the Father's right hand. He's our high priest. For men to God. And in the economy of Israel, it's like this. God looks at the high priest. Just like the victory of David is the victory of Israel over Goliath. All Israel didn't have to fight. They had a representative to fight for them. His victory would mean their victory. His defeat would mean their defeat. So the high priest. When the high priest is there, all right, it's like this. How good the high priest is, is how God will accept the people. If the high priest is bad and he collapses and he falls dead in the Holy of Holies and they drag him out, they can look forward, the people of Israel can look forward to a bad year of enemies conquering them, of drought. 
But if the, the high priest comes out alive, they can look forward to a great year of blessing, abundance, and fruitfulness. Are you listening? The problem with Israel is that they may have a good high priest now, but he's getting old. And his son, Goldberg, has been running around, partying, and he's the successor. So the thing is that their security is never eternal. Their joy is never unceasing because their high priest dies. But people, we have a high priest after the power of an endless life. He's a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Forever. Forever is pretty long time, man. Amen. God is saying, if your high priest is good, you are good. If I accept your high priest, I accept all of you. And who is your high priest? Is he good? Do you reckon he's good? If he is good, you are blessed. Amen. If he is accepted, you are accepted. Ooh. And he lives after the power of an endless life. So our, our joy is forever. Our peace is unceasing. Now, if peace in your life is tied up somehow with your behavior, it will be broken before the day is over. But if your, your peace and your joy is wrapped up in your high priest, as your high priest is. Come on, 1 John 4. As he is, so are we when? When we die and go to heaven one day in the sweet by and by? No, as he is present and so are we in this world. Is he accepted? So are we in this world by God. Is he under God's unclouded favor? So are we. Is he under God's grace and free favors? So are we. Do you think Jesus at the Father's right hand is prosperous? Or do you think he's broke? If he's prosperous, so are we. As he is, so are we. Do you reckon that Jesus is sick? Have you gone to heaven one day and you hear, heard Jesus coughing? <coughs> Have you ever? Never, right? He's healthy forever. Once upon a time, his body carried all diseases known to men. So God has to heal him and raise him from the dead. God has to move, put away all the diseases. Is he healed in every way? Is he healthy in every way? So are we. So are we. Now, now you say, but Pastor Prince, I still feel the pain. I feel the pain. And it's loud, Pastor Prince. It's nice for you to say, as he is, so are we. But I feel the pain. Now listen, friend. Nothing is greater than the truth that is eternal. The pain is a fact. Truth outlasts facts. The truth will set you free. Now listen carefully. 
When I preached this in my church years ago, some of you heard this testimony. There was a lady, unbeknownst to me, that very week she would be faced with a physical challenge. She went for a mammogram and they found a lump in her breast and the doctors were concerned because it was of the nature of certain things they have seen before. So they asked her to come, to come back for further tests. She heard me preach that week and she took her medical report and she wrote down there, as Jesus is, so am I in this world. Does Jesus have lump in his breast? She wrote down, does Jesus have lumps in his breast? And she said, as he is, so am I. She went back for further tests and they could not find that lump. Somewhere, I don't know when, how, but it's not our place. Our place is to behold him and it's the Holy Spirit's place to transform us as we behold. If we are not beholding him, the Holy Spirit has no material to work with. But our part is the easy part, behold him. We need pulpit ministries that will cause people to behold Him. We need songs that will cause people to behold Him. Because when people behold Him, the Bible says, as we behold Him with unveiled face, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. Transformed by beholding, not by striving, not by working. Amen. Right now, you are being transformed as you behold Jesus, as He is, so are we in this world. Amen. Well, we got to be practical, Pastor Prince. All this beholding, beholding is wonderful. We need five steps. Or at least five and a half. Come on. Sometimes in America, I don't know why, it's almost as if you got to, you know, you got to have a sermon that whacks you before you say that that's a man of God behind the pulpit. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you didn't whack me enough. You're not a man of God. Come on, whack me. Come on, baby, hit me one more time. Something is wrong with you, man. You're part of the emo generation. It's almost like, don't you know that Jesus took your beatings for you? Stop beating yourself. He took your beatings. Stop hurting yourself. Stop hurting your family. Stop hurting your loved ones. You don't have to pay the price for what you did. He paid it. He paid it all. Learn to receive. And the most humble thing you can do before God is to say, Jesus paid for it. I receive it. And from now on, I will not punish myself. I will not hurt myself, be it consciously or unconsciously. I receive that forgiveness. Joseph Prince, you are forgiven. Amen. We are our worst enemies sometimes. Well, you know something? Is this practical, beholding Him? The Bible says as we behold Him, the Holy Spirit transforms us into the same image. Remember Peter? That stormy night, he was in the boat and Jesus came walking on the boat, uh, walking on the sea. It was a stormy night. The winds were howling, the waves were lapping and, and it was ferocious, amen. And Jesus was walking real cool on the water. Remember that? Amen. I mean, the waves obeyed him. They were playing with him. And then Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. Jesus says, cool man, come. Okay, he said, come. You must not add to God's word, okay. So Peter walked on the water. 
the Bible says Peter walked to Jesus as long as his eyes was on Jesus, as long as he was beholding Jesus, as Jesus was above the storm, so was he. This is the how to walk in the supernatural right here. As he beheld Jesus, he was like Jesus, above the troubles, above the storm. Then the devil came and said, hey, what makes you think you can walk on water? Back in the University of Haifa, you learn no one can walk on water. Now you mean to tell me if there's no storm, there's no waves, you can walk on peaceful waters? The ways of God has nothing to do with reason. It's the way of faith. Faith is looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. It's not looking to self, it's looking to Jesus. And I'm telling you people, the indictment of, the most frequent indictment of Jesus is never, oh you of little fasting. He never tells his disciples, you know his frequent indictment is always, you know what is it, oh you of little faith. It's never, oh you of little holiness. Oh you of little works. Oh you of little learning. It is always, oh you of little faith. But you know what's faith? Faith takes. Faith is the hand that takes. In other words, his indictment itself is very encouraging. He's saying, why do you take from me so little? Why do you trust me so little? There is a fullness beyond, beyond the human eye. I am God incarnate. Come on, take some more and take some more and take some more. Why do you take so little? That's what it means when it says, oh, you of little faith. You see where the focus is? And the Bible tells us when Peter took his eyes off Jesus, he became natural. So you tell me it's not practical to behold Jesus. Many a times, the greatest changes are effortless. Are you with me, people? I want to close with this. The high priest. There is something he has on his head called the golden plate. Aaron was the first high priest. By the way, can I ask you a question, all right? Why is it that God did not choose Moses to be the high priest? God chose Aaron to be the high priest. After all, Moses was the man. Moses was the deliverer. So it stands to reason that Moses ought to be the one to bring the people in as the high priest, isn't it? So why didn't God choose Moses as the high priest? Question, where was Moses when the people of Israel suffered under the whiplash of the taskmasters? He was in the palace. He grew up as a prince. Where was Aaron? Amongst the people. He suffered with the people. A high priest must sit where you sat. A high priest must go through what you went through. Therefore, Jesus came as a baby, and soon it's gonna be Christmas, hallelujah. We remember that he's gonna sit where we sat, went through what we went through, to be the high priest. Now, Look at this beautiful picture of the high priest up here. The high, all that you see visually, all right, outwardly, is true intrinsically of Jesus. He's not wearing this outwardly today, but 
it's, these are visual aids. These outward things are visual aids to help us know what Jesus is doing. Every piece of the high priest's garments tells a beautiful redemptive story. Look at the golden plate on his forehead. All right? There is this eng engraven on the golden plate are these Hebrew words, Kodesh Le Yahweh, which means holiness to the Lord. Now, what is the teaching here? What does the Holy Spirit endeavor to teach us about the golden plate of the high priest on his forehead? Let's read in Exodus 28. It says, so it shall be on Aaron's forehead. Aaron is the first high priest. He's a type of Christ, our high priest. This golden plate, holiness to the Lord, must be on Aaron's forehead. It's a picture of his thoughts. And Jesus' thoughts are always holy to the Lord. Can you say amen? It shall be on Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel hallow in all their holy gifts. Stop. Do you know that in your greatest times of praise and worship, there is iniquity? Do you know that? Do you know in your greatest service, there is sin? Do you know in your greatest performance, whatever it is that you're doing for the Lord, there is sin? Do you know? But we don't have to stop and worry about it. You know why? Because our high priest bears it. All right, he will hallow all the, the holy gifts and it shall, this golden plate, holiness to the Lord, shall always be on the forehead of the high priest that the people of Israel, in our case, all of us may be accepted before the Lord. His forehead, as long as his thoughts are holy, we are accepted. God did not say, as long as your thoughts are holy, you will be accepted. God says, as long as your high priest's thoughts are holy, you are accepted. And this word accepted in the Hebrew is a word razon, which means you will be delightsome. You will be pleasurable to the Lord. Hallelujah. As long as your high priest, his thoughts are always holy, you are always accepted. You are always pleasant, pleasurable to the Lord. And when you come with your praise, you come with your worship, you come in prayer, you come to serve the Lord, don't worry about your thoughts. God is not looking at your thoughts to judge you. God is looking at your high priest. And who is our high priest? Do you reckon his thoughts are always holy? Always? Then you are always accepted. Hallelujah! Hallelujah!